stories, but what is the main theme? See? What is the main thing that we're trying to get to through this? The main focus. What? It's not. Why do you pray, read your Bible? That's not the correct answer. Where, where are we trying to get to? There's a big, there's an overarching thing that I want us to do to think, to process. What is this? No. No. <laughs> That's one of the stories. That's not the, huh? Yes, an overall mindset change, okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this is the mindset change that you have to have. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm going through different stories. In fact, in, uh, next week we're going we're gonna to switch. We're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to look at something that, that, um, that really makes you think differently. If you really look at the details of the story, it makes you think differently. And you have to process certain things that you wouldn't necessarily um, process. So this is where I'm trying to get us to is to have a, um, not have a mind shift, but to be open to God saying to you, I want you to renegotiate some things. I want you to think about, do you really believe this, or do you believe this, or do you, how do you really believe about this? This is one of the things that, that really uh, got me when I, first, when I first got in, became a youth pastor, and this was years ago, and I was, I was a kid. I was 20 years old. Um, I, I really didn't know a lot of what I believed. I knew a lot, I had a lot of beliefs, but I didn't know what I believed. I had a lot of beliefs because I grew up in church, and that's not bad, by the way. I grew up in church. Um, I had a, a theological mindset, basically, except that at the end of the day, I didn't really believe this stuff. This was stuff that, that was handed to me that I was owning, but it wasn't mine. It wasn't from me, and I knew this. And I had, you know, Scripture says I'd studied to, to, to show myself approved with God. I hadn't done that. And so I really began to investigate a lot of things and to, to go over stuff. And I would listen to something like in a service or the pastor would, am I passing out or is that everybody? Okay. <clears throat> I, I gotta have some light, Tom. We we um, we like to look at me. I like to look at me. John likes to look at me. There you go. So, um, so this is one of the things that I, I began to do. And I didn't say it out loud, by the way. I didn't go like the pastor would preach something. I was a youth pastor. The pastor would preach something. I didn't. I didn't go and say, um, uh, "What do you? Is that true?" Where'd you get that from? I would listen to what he said or in a class or in a book I was reading or something. I would, I would investigate it, and then I would get those scriptures, and I would process those scriptures out. Let me, let me help you with something. There's a lot of times over the years I've been reading something, a book that somebody wrote, good author, uh, good book, healthy, whatever. And then I look up the scriptures that they're using for that section of stuff, and I realize they're using the scriptures completely out of context. That's if they take that one sentence or two sentences or something, it sounds good in that paragraph they just wrote. But when you read it in the bigger part of the story, it really is not about that. And, uh, and so I began to investigate things, what I think, what I really believe. And, uh, and so some of these things that we're looking at here, these stories, we're, invest- we're analyzing the people in the stories so that we can come to conclusions on our own. Not necessarily the conclusions they came to, which is part of what we, the information we need. But what conclusion do I come to once I have looked at that story and looked at all the different people involved? How can I put myself in and out of the story and process? What would I do? And that kind of, so we're just investigating all this stuff to come up with what? 
What do I really believe? Is there a possibility that I should have a major mind change about something in life, a, a worldview change? Okay? So we're looking at the story. This is the story. Moses uh, and the Israelites are at the base of the mountain. Moses goes up in the mountain. God writes the Ten Commandments for him on the stone. And uh, <coughs> who's down at the bottom of the mountain waiting on him? We didn't really focus on this too much. Joshua. Joshua was at the bottom of the mountain. Aaron and the people are over here making a golden calf. Okay? Joshua's waiting on Moses. Moses comes down and, and says, Joshua, what's going on down there? And Joshua says, I don't know. It sounds like a battle or something. Moses says, it doesn't sound like a battle to me. It sounds like they're kicking it up. It sounds like a party. So they come down there again. Now let's look at Moses. When he's up on the mountain, God says to Moses, uh, Moses, those people, your people, it's always how God says to Moses, your people, and Moses always says to God, your people. I love that. But, but um, God says, Moses, they're all down there uh, worshiping a, a golden calf that they made. And, God, and remember, Moses defends them. And he says, God, don't destroy them because if you destroy them, you're going to look bad to everybody else. You said these are your people. You're going you're gonna to display yourself to the nations and be a blessing to the nations through your people. If you destroy your people, that doesn't look good. That's really his argument. And God says, okay, I won't destroy them. Then Moses gets down to the bottom of the mountain, and he sees the calf himself, and he goes ballistic. He just defended them. Now he goes off, and he's screaming and yelling and all this stuff. Now, this is kind of where we came to. We've looked at Moses. We've looked at people. looked at all these different things, God, the Ten Commandments. I want us to specifically focus on Aaron, and let's look at... Um, Specifically, Aaron. So let's jump to um, uh, down to verse 19 of Exodus chapter 32. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing. He burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground. I know I keep saying this over the last few weeks. I think, I think that's just as bad as Aaron making the calf. Moses gets this. I guess you could say at first glance it's righteous indignation, but we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He kind of owns the God position on this, and he takes what God wrote, the, the, the literal Ten Commandments, and he throws them down on the ground because now he feels like he has been um, wronged. He hasn't been wronged. God's been wronged. And now God's wronged again because Moses destroys the Ten Commandments. That's completely out of line for Moses. He lets his anger uh, get a hold of him here. All right, so he, he uh, throws his stone tablets to the ground, smashes them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Now, again, what is some of the reason that he, he grinds this into powder, puts it in the water, and makes them drink it? I think there's a few reasons, but the, to me there's a really a, an overarching one here. Why does he... Why does he ground this gold down and make them drink it? Yes. What does that say, though? Now, now we're getting a little bit to it. You, 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 you're, how big is your God? Because he's about to become... More than dust. He's about to become poo. That's your God. That's what he's doing here. 
You're, I, you, you think your God's all that powerful. I'm going to grind him up. You're going to drink him. You're going to poo him out. That's how big your God is. Worship that God. That's what Moses is doing here. He is doing everything he can to tear apart and deface what they created. And, and, and I believe rightfully so. Okay, I think he does fine with all of that. I like all of that. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded. Now, this is where we kind of stopped last week, and this is where we're jumping into. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring <coughs> such terrible sin upon them? Moses is putting this right at Aaron's feet. He's not saying to all of the people, what did you guys do here? He specifically says to Aaron, Aaron, why did you do this to these people? I've mentioned this off and on over the last few weeks, but this is something that specifically in today's society we don't put enough emphasis on within the church world, the church context is the, the accountability to God, the responsibility for what God is doing with us and leadership that he gives us, who he has said us to be, and then the accountability to that. Now, basically in a general sense, we're not a, our country is really working hard to push accountability away. We don't want to be accountable for anything. But this is, this is in my opinion, it's just as strong in the church world as it is outside the church world. But we're doing it on spiritual levels, and we're doing it on relational levels and all this other kind of stuff, that we're not being accountable for what God has said to us on either side of this, okay? So the last few weeks, I've been talking specifically about when God gives you a position of responsibility or authority or leadership or something else, you are accountable to that, and you need to be responsible. You need to be responsible for what God has said to you. You need to have a, a moral lifestyle. We had, we had a leadership uh, meeting last night, and we were talking about this with our leaders, that as leaders, that our leaders are accountable to the people and the children, the teenagers that they're leading, and there needs to be some responsibility within themselves that says, while I'm standing in front of these people, I'm going to be this accountable person of integrity and moral character and all this other stuff. But then when I'm away from them, I am still that person, that I'm a person of, of character and integrity and moral code regardless of whether I'm with the people or not with the people or whatever the case is, right? That's one side of this being responsible. The other side is, and we do this just as horribly. We're not really good at either one of these in the church world today. We don't take responsibility for who God has called us to be and the reality that we need to stand up and not, not um, take it lightly. Don't, don't, don't cheapen it by not being serious about this. God's given you responsibility. Stand with it. God's given you giftings, stand with it. God's given you abilities and to accomplish certain things or own that. It is not arrogant to say, I am good at this. Why? Because God made me good at this. I've worked hard at being, it's not arrogant to say I'm good at this, whatever this is. It's not arrogant to say I'm a leader, I'm going to lead, but you better be accountable to it. If you stand up and say, I'm a leader, I'm going to lead, don't and then expect people to follow. Don't shirk that later when you have a, a big failure and now people are looking at you saying, What did you do? Why? Well, it's not, you know, we're all just people. Well, you weren't saying that earlier. Earlier you're saying you better follow me. Now you're saying, Well, we're just all the same. Okay? That's one side. The other side is this. 
when, when you make a mistake, when you, when you fall, fail, or whatever the case is, then you have to say, okay, the blood of Jesus is what forgives me. I can't climb out of this pit myself. This, this is an important thing that we, that we also don't do well. We, we, you know, we want to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. I get that. That's my thinking. That's the way I'm bent. I think that way. And it has hindered me sometimes in my Christian walk because I think when I make a mistake, I have to fix it. I have to prove to everybody. Now, is there, as a, as a position of responsibility and authority, do I have to prove that out to people? Sure. If, if I hurt somebody, or they're not going to trust me immediately. I get that. But if, if I try to fix all of this myself, I'm, I'm hurting myself. Be re- accountable to the gospel on both sides. Be accountable to the gospel when you're living your life. If you make a, a, a failure, a mistake, or something else, be accountable to the gospel then too. You're forgiven by the blood of Jesus, not because you're trying real hard. You're, you're made clean by the blood of Jesus. Don't argue with God about this. I used to do this so bad. I've talked about this before. I used to do this so bad back in the day. I, I, w- I had such a legalistic mentality that I, I could not let Jesus forgive me. I couldn't let him do it. He, he's trying. He did a lot of stuff. He even died on the cross for me to be forgiven. But my moral code was higher than his moral code. Because in my opinion, he couldn't really forgive me. Well, I'd, I had done this bad thing or I'd hurt this person or whatever. Okay. If Jesus could forgive you the first time, he can forgive you the second time, he can forgive you the thousandth time. And somewhere along the way, you've got to own forgiveness as much as owning responsibility of leadership. And it really, in my opinion, it's the same subject. It's just being accountable. Across the board, it's just being accountable, not to other people primarily. That's secondary. It's being accountable to God primarily. God's the forgiver. God's the caller. He's the creator. He's the, the maker of you. He's, he's the one who's in charge of all of the pieces of this. Don't, don't get too high on a pedestal. Don't overqualify yourself, and don't disqualify yourself either side of this. You walk right down the middle. Jesus is the one who, who saves you, changes you, makes you, creates you, calls you, gifts you, and all that stuff. Walk in that. Don't walk in yourself on any side of this. Now, what happens with Aaron is he begins to walk on all sides of this at the same time. Finally, he turns to Aaron and demands, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You know that irritates you when, you have, when somebody says that, right? What's one of the worst things you can do in an argument? Tell the other person, okay, you just need to calm down. Well, if, if I was not calm before, I'm definitely not calm now. Don't, don't tell me. And that's what he's doing. See, here, here's again, we do this with the Bible stories. We put them into a separate category. They're separate people. They're not like us. All this. People are people. People are people then. People are people now. Listen to the things that are being said. Pay attention to the way people are interacting together, and you can learn a lot more about you in the process. If you, if you relegate them off to some kind of holier-than-thou mentality that you're not like them in any place or whatever because they're a few thousand years before you, people are people. From, from Adam and Eve in the garden, God created them. Boom. People. People have been the same. Culture changes and goes. and People are the same. Okay? Now, how do I know that? 
there's a basic foundation to this. If Jesus dies on the cross 2,000 years ago for somebody, they can't be a complete different race or species of people uh, completely outside of a, a box that I can't fit into. Because then Jesus didn't die for me. If Jesus dies for us, he dies for all of us. That means people are all the same. Right? Now, obviously, we're, we're different personalities and uniqueness and all that stuff. But, but people have basically got to be people, or Jesus has to die every few hundred or few thousand years as, as people change. He doesn't do that. Okay? Moses is a person just like me. Elijah even says this. He, he, Paul says about Elijah, he's a man of like passion, just like you and me. He's just like you and me. Paul says that. Why? Because he's dealing with something then that we deal with today. You put him into a second, separate category, and so then you really can't learn the details. You just learn the big picture. We're learning details, okay? Aaron says to Moses, don't get up so upset. You yourself know how evil these people are. See how he's trying to get on Moses' side? He's manipulating this, right? They said to me, now, all of a sudden, it's him and Moses. It's, Moses points at Aaron and says, Aaron, what did you do? And he kind of steps to the side and says, Moses, let's look back at all these people. You and me, buddy, let's look at these people. Let's analyze what's really happened here. Moses already figured out what's happened. Aaron, you made a mistake here. What did you do? Aaron tries to switch it. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Again, how long was Moses on the mountain? Forty days. That's as long as they could hold on to God. Somewhere around 30 days, they start getting gold together and making a calf. Moses comes down at 40, and they're dancing around this calf they made. We don't know what happened to Moses. So Aaron says to Moses, so I told them, Whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. That's awesome. That is absolutely amazing that that would happen. To me, that's proof of evolution right there. Throw the gold in, out comes the calf. It is a child's answer. That's That's the goofiness of this. It is a little kid's answer. I don't know, it broke itself. <laughs> it wasn't me. So, so now, here, here's what happens. There's, we, this, is, this is where kind of we started going to, this is, where we, this is where we went a different direction. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. What is Aaron basically saying here? It's not my fault. So if it's not Aaron's fault, whose fault is it? Okay, so in physical level, no one fashioned this. But somehow a calf came out of that fire in gold. So, so at some level, what he is saying is, this is a spiritual thing, Moses. You're not getting it. You're not seeing this, Moses. Do you realize how amazing this calf is? We didn't make this calf. It just came out, which means... It's, it was made by the gods, or big G God. He, that's, he doesn't say that out loud, but isn't that what he is inferring? 
If it just magically comes out of the fire, somebody or something, fire didn't fashion it into a calf. The people didn't fashion it into a calf. And they're worshiping it because it came out as a calf. He's justifying why he's worshiping it. This is a spiritual calf. This is a magical calf. The gods, or I don't know, Moses, maybe, maybe even big God up there while, you, while, you're making the, while he's writing the Ten Commandments, he went poof and made this calf. You don't know, Moses. You weren't here. But obviously, we need to worship this thing because it's a supernatural thing. I think so. Um, um, okay, so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that there's this, um, not about this specifically, but about this kind of the story. We, we talked about it specifically from the point of view of why did they go back? Why didn't they worship God? They had seen God do all these supernatural things, parting the water, pillar of fire, pillar of a cloud, manna, water from a rock. Um, uh, I can't remember what bird, hawks? Pigeons, pigeons, quail. I can't even remember quail. I don't know why. They ate chicken, um, all this stuff. God's doing all these supernatural things, the ten plagues, everything. And 40 days, 40 days is all it takes to crumble all that in their mind. And they go, they revert back to two or three different people said this. They revert back to their default. Their, their, their default is worshiping other gods, little g. Their default is is this is how I grew up. This is my culture. This is my comfort zone. It doesn't matter that God had done all of these amazing supernatural things and all these little gods, G, could not uh, produce the same results. When God systematically goes through the plagues and tears down all of the major idols and, and gods of Egypt, they were powerless against him. But they couldn't, rem- they couldn't seem to fasten onto that, and they default back. So I believe even as they're putting their gold together, they are already... They're already worshiping. In fact, uh, somebody, it may have been Barry, somebody said something to me last week uh, after service. The, the gold they were taking off probably was not just jewelry the way we look at jewelry, but was most likely connected to, if you see, if you see hieroglyphics, all kinds of things from Egyptian time frame, the, the jewelry and stuff had spiritual connotations to it. It wasn't just uh, adornment. It was... A spiritual adornment. It was a worshiping to the gods and those kind of things. It's the same concept nowadays as if we wear like a crucifix, that kind of mentality. If there's a spiritual context. It's not just jewelry. There's a spiritual context to it. Or maybe even this would probably be more accurate. If you wear a necklace of a saint, that would be probably more accurate to the idea because I know a lot of people that wear crucifix that have no there's no connection whatsoever. But when you put a necklace of a saint on, there actually can be kind of, there's a reason. Okay? So it's that kind of thing. So as they're taking the jewelry off and as they're doing this, this is already, I, I think, a mindset. It's already a spirit. I'm going this direction spiritually. We are going to worship this. God's abandoned us 40 days. Nothing. They, they weren't being attacked. They weren't, there wasn't sickness. There wasn't anything happening to them. They just sat there for 40 days. That's all they did. And in that 40 days, they turn against God, make an idol, and begin to have these crazy uh, orgy things around the idol. That's 40 days. That's how long it takes. Yeah, probably less. 
The fact, I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine that they start picking up the party as Moses is coming down the mountain. They've been doing this for a few days. And Aaron knows Moses knows his life. Okay, so this is this is where I want to drill down right here. Thank you, Linda. This is this is where I want to drill down right here. Why why does Aaron do this? He say that again. Okay, on a foundational level, he's not. His relationship with God is not is struggled, or struggling, or that's that's the first breakdown. Um, Amy, you said something too. Scared of what? Who? Okay, um, you you guys can disagree with this if you think, but I I would struggle believing that he's scared of God. If he's scared of God. You, you don't say it magically came out of the fire. You say, okay, I made this. I'm sorry. God, God, I'm sorry. Now, this is actually a very important thing to, to focus on right here. Is what Aaron's priorities are, what he's thinking, how this whole process is unfolding. Because to me, this speaks very strongly to us in a lot of different ways in our life right now. So many different ways we could take this. But the biggest thing is, if there was anywhere in his heart that he had a connection to God and he was really fearful, not necessarily afraid, but fearful, and you can put afraid in there, but, but um, knowing that God truly is God sovereign over everything, he acts very different in this. Even if, even if he does cave in his relationship and, with God and still makes the calf, when Moses comes down, he behaves differently if he's really fearful of God. Because he can't lie about this calf and fool God. He may think he can fool Moses. He might even think he can fool some of the people. I mean, there's, there's a couple million people involved with this. Not everybody watched what came out of the fire. So maybe he can fool some of those people. But he can't fool God. And somewhere he either doesn't know that or hasn't processed it or something. Or, you, somewhere there has to be a... Um, a God moment in this, and there's not. Yes, ma'am. I think so. Okay, let's look at this from a leadership position. The people are obviously still looking to Aaron for leadership. But there's a chance, and I, and I think there's a good chance this is part of this, is that when he's looking at this, He's saying, well, God and Moses, even Joshua got to go stand at the bottom of the mountain. Aaron has to take care of the people. They get to do all of the cool stuff and the fun stuff. Why can't I, why can't I watch you carve the Ten Commandments too, God? I could just stand there. Pat? Yeah. 
Oh, he, from the beginning he was. Yeah. I think I think this is the root of a lot of Aaron's issues, not just here, from the beginning here, and even further into Scripture, where we see sometimes Aaron was never supposed to be this guy. It was never God's intention for Aaron to be this guy. Moses made this happen because Moses kept arguing with God and saying, "God, I can't go to Pharaoh and I can't say this stuff because I stutter." And God kept saying, "Yes, you can. Take the stick, throw it down, turn into a snake. You ain't got to talk. Let him look at the snake." You know, and Moses kept arguing, arguing. Finally, God said, okay, take Aaron with you, and Aaron will be the mouthpiece. That is not what God intended from the very beginning. So all of a sudden, Aaron has a position of authority, visual responsibility, that was not what God intended from the beginning. Now, that doesn't mean that it disqualifies everything from there on out. But what happens is, is I believe that Aaron never really grabs onto this completely and says, God, you are my God. God didn't speak to Aaron through the bush. God didn't. Aaron is just mouthing what God has said to Moses. Aaron's not the direct person. And, and in my opinion, he never really owns it personally. When Moses goes up on the mountain, Aaron stays down. This is not, he's not serving the God on the mountain yet. He's still serving the gods of Egypt. He's still got his heart wrong. There's not this, this, I'm surrendering to God. Moses goes up on the mountain, and Joshua even goes with him. I think, and we even see later, uh, 40 years later, where Joshua goes into the promised land because Joshua held on to this as his own for 40 years. We don't see Aaron go into the promised land. Yeah, so, so, so coming back to the to full circle with that statement, come back full circle with the spiritual responsibility here. Moses says to Aaron, what did you do? Now, I said this three weeks ago. My biggest problem with this entire story has always been, Aaron, why couldn't you have these two million people, bottom of the mountain, Moses on the top, Joshua at the bottom, God writing the Ten Commandments, when they come to Aaron and say, where is this fellow Moses? Aaron comes to a crossroads.
He's still the God that Moses brought to the Egyptians. He's not Aaron's God. And, and again, my biggest struggle with this whole thing is that Aaron could have said, when those people came up to him, Aaron could have said, we're going to serve God. Well, Moses is up on the mountain, and he'll be back. We're going to serve God. And if he doesn't come back, we're still going to serve God. We're going to serve God. The, uh, the, the statement out of um, Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You, you can do whatever you want in your house. You can, you can, but whatever area of responsibility I have, we're going to serve God. Anna, do you have your hand up back there? Yeah, don't don't rush me, Anna. Um, oh, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is what this is what I'm talking about. This is a this isn't just hey they're kicking it up and down. This is a this is a big um, um, immoral, all kinds of stuff going on, like a big orgy thing that's happening with this God. That was the normal concept of worship with Egypt. Somehow that's Aaron's answer to this. That becomes Aaron's answer. Well, Moses has been gone forever. What twenty days, twenty five days? That's the best you got. And Aaron's answer is, well, let's make ourselves an idol. Again, this is my biggest problem with this whole story. Aaron was given the opportunity for responsibility and leadership, and he caves. Because he's more concerned, two or three things. He's more concerned about the people, how they think about him. And the biggest thing is he's not concerned with what God thinks about him. That's human nature. Again, I said this a couple weeks ago on the weekend. That's normal. Remember me talking about this? Peter says that when we become Christians, we become peculiar or abnormal. We become different. The world is acting normal. That's normal behavior. Somewhere, you have to stand up and be abnormal. You have to stand up and be different. Aaron has the opportunity, and he doesn't take it. He is the one responsible for this. Now, the other side of this is then he blames this on spiritualness. Now, I said this a little bit last week, and I want to I want to go a little bit more over this right now. This is one of the things I, I, I talked about this, and, and when, when we have a board meeting, leadership meetings, or any of this kind of stuff, but specifically when we have a board meeting, so we're discussing. Um, things about the church and, and directions and, and um, important stuff. We're talking about financial direction, spiritual directions, vision, a lot of different kind of things in our board meetings. And, and, and the responsibility of our board at Church of Briargate is the primary vision casters. That's their, that's their number one responsibility is myself and the, and the other people on the board that we cast the direction and the vision for the church. And then our, our next priority on the board is to... Um, to uh, facilitate the finances, to legislate and facilitate the finances. And that's basically it, okay? That's the responsibility of the board. So when we're on the board, there's a lot of times where we're sitting down and we're discussing things that we're trying to do that are going to affect this body for 20 years, more. 
one of the things that, that I will not do, I mean, in, in um, let's see, I've been a lead pastor now since for, for 21 years. In 21 years, I may have done this three or four times max, okay, uh, is when I'm sitting with the board and I say, I think God said this to me and we have to do it. I may have done that three or four times over the years. Because that's, to me, that's a, a, a big thing, is when you try to spiritualize something, what I call the trump card, everybody's played their hands, and you realize you have a losing hand, whatever it is. We're discussing whatever. It doesn't matter. Should we buy this? Should we sell this? Should we do this? Should we do this? And everybody's put their hand down, and we're discussing. We're going around the table, and then somebody feels like they have a losing hand, so they throw a trump card down that no one can argue with. What is that trump card? God told me. Now nobody can argue. Because you got a, you got a couple basic options at that point. Call the person out as full of it, using God as a, as a uh, whip to get everybody else into, which is not going to set well with them. You're probably going to hurt them pretty bad. They're probably going to leave. The, the, the fact that they're already bringing their trump card out means they're probably a, a little, little immature in this already. And when you call them on it, it's not going to go well, okay? The second thing is, is you just blindly go along with them because you're not listening to God either. So you go, well, I didn't, all right. I don't like the, I don't like the God card. Now, if God speaks to you strongly enough that you need to say that, okay, but then you've got to own it. In my opinion, you've got to own it. If it doesn't go well, don't blame God later. God doesn't make mistakes, you got to own it, okay? So here's the thing that Aaron does with this. Aaron could lead. He doesn't. Well, he leads. He leads. This is the thing about leaders is you lead no matter what you're doing, either good or bad. You're leading. Aaron leads, but he leads them astray, leads them down the wrong path. And when Moses calls him on it, he said, well, this is a spiritual thing. Moses, I didn't do this. That, that calf just came out of that fire. That's why we're worshiping it. Now, here's the thing that I've seen over the years. We don't do it like that blatantly, but I've seen different ways of this many times over the years where people will try to use spirituality, some layer, either like a base concept of spirituality, all the way up to God said, to push or manipulate or do different things. That's not healthy. It's not healthy for person doing it, specifically not healthy for them, but it's also not healthy for the, the everybody else that's around them. And again, we can do it on both sides. We can do it to be pushy, I'm going to get my way done, or we can do it on the other side, which is I can't do what God has called me to do, and there's a spiritual reason. I, in fact, I probably deal with this side more than this side. I think different pastors are different. I think a lot of pastors deal with the other side. I think it's my personality. People don't usually get pushy with me. <laughs> I don't, I don't really experience that often. I've seen it, um, and I saw it when I was a youth pastor more, but p- people don't get pushy with me. I, I, was, I was talking with somebody the other day. I was in a counseling session, actually, and it's somebody I've known for years and years, like, like 20 years. And I was, I was talking with them, and, and they said, well, how do you do that? And I was, I was like, well, how do I do what? You, you stay even kill through everything. And I said, well, first, I don't. That may be just what you see. And then, and then they said, because you can be very intimidating. 
Now, I've known this person for years. They weren't being mean. They were talking to me. And I said, you, you think I'm intimidating? You think I'm not? <laughs> you think? Um, I've had that. Okay, I've had that off and on over the years. I don't see it. I, when I look in the mirror, I don't see intimidating. I see warm and cuddly. I, I see dashingly handsome. But I don't see intimidating. But that's what they said. And I've had a lot of people say that to me over the years. You're intimidating. I don't try to be. I'm really not trying to be intimidating. Okay? But, but sometimes, so, so I don't get that side as much. I don't get people trying to push me around or intimidate. What I get is when I'm talking to somebody and I'm saying, okay, God's called you to do this or, or we're going to do this. Or whatever, I get reasons why they can't. And they're using the spiritual card there too. Well, I can't. This is, this is the most common thing I've heard over the years. You don't know my past. Right? What are they saying when they say that? Big enough to what? Forget, forgive, use them? Because they were disqualified by something. It doesn't matter what they were disqualified by. Everybody has their own thing. But we disqualify ourselves because, well, you don't know what I did. You don't know who I am. And I've said this before. I, when you look at me, I, so every year during the summer, um, every year, I don't go every year, but every year they do this. A group of guys that I went to college with, they all get together for a, a Texas Ranger baseball game. And most years I try to go down. I'll fly down, stay a couple days, and come back um, to, to be with these guys. I was the kid. I was 18. They were all 20, 21, 22, up to 25. They, the, to me, the 25-year-old seemed like an old man. In fact, he had already been divorced twice at 25. and Three times at 25? He grew up around Linda. She knows him really well. And, um, and to me, he was like this old man, 25. Well, we still get together every year. And, and you know what it does for me every single year? See, they do not see me like you see me. They struggle seeing me like you see me. They struggle. They, they'll tell me. One guy in particular, he was really going through some difficult stuff in his marriage and some things. And they were sitting there, and he said, I guess I should talk to you. You, you counsel people, right? I'm like, yes, it's like a major thing I do. I've done it for years. Yeah, I just have a hard time listening to you counsel me. Yeah, it's the same concept, the prophet without honor in his own country. Yeah, the Trump God of God said. But, I mean, these guys, what it does for me is it reminds me, and I, and I don't think this is bad, it reminds me I, I, I didn't used to be this guy. And specifically as, as that 18-year-old, you can ask this handful of guys that, I, that I've been doing this, about six of them, I've been doing this forever. I was a punk, I was a smart aleck, 18-year-old, selfish jerk. They tolerated me because I was really good friends with one of them, and we all went to this Chi Alpha group together, and that's where I got saved. And so they tolerated me. That's about the best I can say. And, they, and, and, and they've said to me, I just can't imagine people counseling with you. I just can't imagine that. And they've said this stuff to me. So, so like, people listen to you preach. Like the whole thing. They listen to you. Yeah. Now, here's, here's where I'm trying to get to with this. Was that me? Yes. 
Is there still elements of that within me? Yeah, because some of it was personality. But am I that same guy? No. Jesus has done a lot of stuff with me over the years. There's a lot of things that if I'm not careful, they would have disqualified me for. In fact, Lynn and I have discussed this. I was thinking about this the other day because of a conversation Lynn and I were having. When Lynn and I started dating the second time, we dated once. I broke up with her. When we started dating the second time, her mother did not trust me. She did not trust me. She knew this wasn't going to work out. She just kept telling Linda, Linda, just give him time. We'll see. (laughs) Because why? I wasn't really that trustworthy at that stage. You, You see what I'm saying? Now, what can happen is, is you can say, you can disqualify yourself and say, well, God can't use me. Why? Spiritual reasons. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. Whatever. This is exactly what Aaron is doing here. He's not taking responsibility for this. Moses says, what did you do? The first thing he does is he sides himself with Moses, you know, puts his arm around him. Hey, Moses, look at those people, those horrible, horrible people. They've been treating you horribly. We know this. I know this. I'm on your team, Moses. They are not good people. And they, and they kind of drug me into this. I didn't want to do this. They kind of drug me into this. So we threw a bunch of gold to fire. This calf came out. Right? Are you tracking with me, Moses? Calf came out. I didn't do this. But by saying that calf came out, he puts it in a spiritual dynamic that makes it challenging for Moses to argue with. Except for Moses calls him on it. Moses says, you're full of it. The calf didn't just pop out. You did this, Aaron. Own it. Yes, ma'am. Well, let's go back to um, let's go back to the verse Anna brought out, verse twenty-five. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the movement of their enemies. And the way the King James says it makes it much stronger that this was a, a, a debauched moment. This wasn't just they make a nice little calf and everybody sits around. That's a good-looking calf there, Aaron. Some people might even say, "Hey." Let's worship that. That's not what's going on. This was a full. Plus, how long does it take to, to fashion a calf out of melted gold? This isn't like they had a mold already made. What? Okay, but where did the mold come from? That's what I'm saying. This isn't, it's not like they went to their storehouse and said, okay, what molds do we have in the storehouse? Hey, there's a calf. Let's make a calf. They, they had to make this. This took a lot of time, which, which is going back to what Marlene said. This is probably not just the, full, the end of the 40 days. This is, this is probably the, the, the full picture of this. It took probably within a week of doing this, they're already starting this thinking. we got to make this calf again. It took a long time to make this, and it wasn't accidental. I, I, I like what you said, but you're completely wrong. This, this is... Uh, this is not an accidental moment, okay? <laughs> um, 
this was intentional. It took a while to make this. It took a while to pour this gold, to melt it, to fashion this calf. And for Aaron just to casually just say, uh, it, it already came out by itself. Oh, and then I guess we worshiped it because of, this was from the intention. This is from the very start of this. This is what they were doing. As I think it was um, Diana that said this was in their heart. When they're bringing the jewelry, it's in their heart. They already have turned against God by the, as they're bringing the jewelry. They've already made the decision. Went to their default. Yeah. So so that's what I was saying is Aaron never Aaron never decided to serve God. This again, this is my problem with this. What does God have to do for Aaron to serve him? Part the water, okay, did that. Pillar of fire, okay, did that. Pillar of cloud, did that. The plagues, did that. Water from a rock, did that. Food on the ground, birds on the ground, did that. What else does God have to do for Aaron, not the other two million people, but just at least Aaron? Aaron was standing there in front of Pharaoh when Moses is doing the miracles, throwing the stick down. Aaron is the one standing there listening. All the rest of the people weren't there. Aaron is standing there. Why can't Aaron say, this God's real? Yeah, this is, it's not, Aaron doesn't have an excuse here. He had a background. He had knowledge of this. That's, that's really the end of the story is he made choices here. Yeah, yeah, that's legitimate. But I would say that not just the stick turning the snake, but all the other gods of Egypt. There had to have been some kind of power. There was had to have been something, but God stamped every one of them. God, God nailed every one of them systematically, tore them apart, and said, "I'm God over that God." Boom. I'm God over that God. Boom. When? Okay, so now it's for us. We 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 have to stop. So let me end it with this. This is how it, for us it comes to. What do we, what does God have to do for us? This is, and, and this is the concept of what I'm talking about, about the big picture, the worldview, a, a complete paradigm shift. We don't really have this very healthily in the American church right now. Um, Christianity is intermingled with this ideology. If you'll just go to a cool church, you'll be okay. Just go to a cool place that they do cool things and they have good children's ministries and you'll be good. Instead of somewhere, you saying, I choose God. I choose to submit myself to Jesus Christ. I choose for Jesus' blood to cover me, and I embrace that by faith, and I am no longer that old person. I am now brand new in Christ Jesus, and my worldview just changed.
My worldview changed. I am no longer the guy that's going to try to cause problems. I'm no longer the guy that's saying you can't forgive. I'm no longer the guy saying it's about me. God, you can't use me. All these different things. Somewhere, you have to come face-to-face with Jesus personally and say, you are my God. Now change me. Forgive me. Wash me. And then you've got to own it. And there is a transformation that happens, not because of you, but you made the choice to embrace what Jesus is doing. You made the choice to embrace who Jesus is, but you've got to choose that. Nobody can make you be a Christian. Nobody can make you be forgiven. Jesus can't make you be forgiven. You have to choose that, but once you choose it, there should be a paradigm shift. There should be a worldview change. That says, I'm not going to look at the world the same. I'm not going to look at myself the same. I'm not going to look at God the same. I'm not going to look at God's word the same. It changes. So then when you come to a pressure situation, now I know this is not directly correlated, but you can figure it out in your own world. When you come to a pressure situation, you don't throw a bunch of jewelry in the fire and come out with a gold calf. You bow on your face before God and say, God, you're God. I need you. Because that's your new worldview. Again, we've been talking about they kept going back to their default. I get that. But when do you stop going back to your default? The way you stop going back to your default is you choose Christ. And there's your shift. You choose this. So when you come to an issue, you choose Christ. You don't choose yourself, your own issues, your own insecurities, your problems. You choose Christ. You don't choose your, grab yourself by your bootstraps. You choose Christ. You don't, you don't make a way. You choose Christ. You don't serve or worship or bow your existence to anything. You choose Christ. And that's where the breakdown for Aaron came in this, and it affected two million people. Right? So how are we going to pray about this? So how do we pray about that? When, huh? Okay, we, we, we make that. God, teach me. I mean, there can be a few layers. God, teach me how to choose you. Give me that, give me that um, commitment in my spirit. I, I, I want to verbalize it right now, but I, wanna, I want you to do something to solidify that. So that when the pressure comes, I, it's not just a mind thing. It's in my heart. It's in my spirit. That we have to process it. And I do believe it's a d- daily. I believe it's an all-day-long thing. The idea that somehow that we pray once and everything's good, I've never understood that. I continuously petition God. Constantly. What's another way we might pray about this, Tom?
And I think we can ask that too. God, build my faith, grow my faith. Help me have this faith. I don't even think faith is something that we get by ourselves. I think God does this with us. Barry, do you? And that's where the prayer comes in. Yeah. That's what Paul was talking about when he says, I want to do the right thing, but I don't. Because the whole context of that in Romans is, and that's why you walk in the Spirit. Because the Spirit will give you, the Holy Spirit will give you the power that you don't have to accomplish the things God has put in your heart that you want to do. So you, we've got to pray that direction. God, do this with me. I pray all the time, God, teach me. Teach me what? Teach me to worship. Teach me to serve you. Teach me to know your word. Teach me to have faith. Teach, because you can, you've got to have God to help you do all of this. So here's the other side is when God's doing that, grab onto it and do it. Own it. Walk in that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for you and your, first your grace with us. Lord, we are, we're amazed that you choose us and that you use us. We're amazed that when we act like Aaron, you still use us and that you used Aaron. That, God, when we, when we get angry and pitch fits like Moses, you still use us. And, uh, Lord, we're, we're amazed by that. We're humbled by that. God, we thank you. Thank you for, for developing us. Thank you for taking time with us and being patient. And, uh, but, Lord, on the other side, push us. We don't want to... Make the errand mistake and try to try to figure this out in ourselves and default to something negative. Lord, we want our default to be you, Jesus. Lord, I make the conscious decision right now. I want to follow you. I want you to be in charge. I want you to override the the attitudes and the the moments that I have when I'm resisting you. Jesus, you be in charge. You are God, and I am your servant. Lord, and I pray that for all of us that we would that we would make that a conscious decision conscious decision to serve you. And Lord, when times get tough, we're going to lean on you, build our faith. We need your help. God, when we're, when we're stressed, Lord, build our faith in you. We need your help during those times. God, you're the king of everything. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you through everything in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God, we continue to lift up um, Jerry and Luann and Charlie and their family. God, bless them with your spirit. Bless that church. Lord, help them to walk on you and everything. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. You ain't got to go home. But you got to leave here.